Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So this is the second of our experimenter salons. Um, and this time it's with um, Sarah Pusel, who made Confessions to the Mirror, and Ruth McLennan, who made Hero City. And I'm Helen DeWitt, one of the programmers of the experimenter session. Um, section of the festival. So the salons are intended to delve deeper into the artist's work um, and their motivations and not have the restriction um, of the kind of standard Q&A setup. There'll be a more intimate conversation that involves you, the audience, um, as well. So please don't feel that you uh, need to kind of wait to a Q&A session at the end. If you've got something to say, please kind of uh, chip in immediately. So um, I'm going to just read a, uh, a brief biog so you know who Sarah and Ruth are, and then I'm going to ask them to say a little bit about the work that they've got in the festival and relating it to previous work if they want to. And then I've just got a few themes that I'm going to kind of throw out to ask them to address or talk to each other about, and feel free to interject at any point with any questions or comments. So Sarah Pusel has been making 16mm short films since 1990 um, and they've shown in galleries uh, and won awards at festivals internationally. Her films and photographs explore a sense of self which is transformative and fluid and at the core of her practice is a concern with the materiality of the filmmaking process. The majority of her films take place within the confinements of domestic space where the gra uh, grounded reality of the house itself becomes a portal to a complex and multi-layered physical realm, psychical realm, sorry. Um, um, in her explorations of the animate and the inanimate, her work uh, probes a journey between mirror and surface in, in which questions of representation are negotiated via the feminine, the queer or the dead. She has ma uh, made many short works and her first feature-length work in black and white Magic Mirror um, from 2013 premiered Tate Mudden and toured internationally and is also available on DVD and she has exhibited photographs from the film at the Nunnery Gallery. Um, her sequel um, to Magic Mirror Confessions to the Mirror was screened here on Sunday, um, shot on 16mm um, in this, and this time uses colour and focuses on Claude Cahun's images set alongside her, her own text, uh, Confidence au Mirror, um, which she wrote after her incarceration in um, World War II. And Sarah's a reader uh, in art at Westminster University. Mm -hmm. yeah. Ruth McKennan completed Masters at, of Fine Art at Goldsmith College in 2000, um, and this is when she made her first videos um, um, in the dialogue series that explore dialogue as both verbal, literary and cinematic form with um, 
with Socratic philosophical ambitions. While at Goldsmiths, together with the artist Volker Eichelman, um, she produced um, the bookwork Style Substance, the Max Mara Coat Project, that explored the value of a fashionable coat and the circulation of ideas and images. Um, she was awarded a Lever Home Artist Residency in the Archives London School of Economics, and there she further explored how spoken language is performed and evolves through the use um, and the effects of architecture and design on behaviour. Her research into the archive led to a breakthrough film commission for the Wellcome Trust. We saw it like a flash, a history of genetics and television using BBC archive from the 1950s to the present. And she collaborated with Uriel Orlo on a commission for the National Archives and the School of Advanced Study. Um, so she's, uh, she's um, um, uh, interested in landscape and traces of the past, that, um, uh, the focus of her films Capital and the Valley of Castles, uh, which were both filmed in Kazakhstan, and Hero City, which was filmed in, um, in Russia, um, in Arctic Russia, that screened at the festival, is uh, much like her other work in that it begins with an encounter with a place and she focuses on overlooked moments, material realms, and fragments of, his of stories that reveal unresolved conflict. And the work has shown internationally in exhibitions and film festivals and is held in private and public collections. So would you both like to just talk a little bit about the, the uh, Confessions to the Mirror and Hero City um, for a bit of context? Yes, I've been making films since leaving Las Vegas in 1990. Um, at that time, I, was, I found out about the artist Claude Cahin. It's a very important figure for me. I love her images. And then when I discovered her writing a lot later, it didn't get translated until 2007. The text that I work with in my... I've made two feature-length films on Cahoon. Um, the first one is from Avenon Avenue, which is disavowed, which is confession. The, the translation, very cryptic, kind of confessions annulled, confessions stopped. It's about telling the truth, confessions, but actually one's conscious won't allow you to, kind of. So it's a, a play sort of on that, about what is the truth. Yeah. So my first film was about this text, Avernon Avenue, which is quite abstract. It's a collage of dream in the style of, you know, being inspired by Dada Surrealism dream, monologues, dialogues, um, poems, essay, essay text. So sort of that's the whole idea that she doesn't want entities. She's looking at the relationship between entities and not trying to unfix how we categorize. And I think she does that in every way, and that's why there's a, there's a particular relationship with maybe postmodern philosophy or even queerness. Yeah, if someone yeah definitely. Else I mean, that, in terms of trans, how, she's very important because yes. she's, you know, she's, she's very experimental in the way she re represents her gender. It's mm -hmm. a non fixed yep. gender, sometimes with elements of the feminine and elements yes. of the masculine yes. kind of co present. That's right. And the that's use right. of masks, of yes. course, to yes. sort of like. Yes, that's right. That's right. That's right. And so one of her key images, she sort of actually, I think, flattened her chest, mm. and that's where she has the nipples on her, painted nipples on her uh, shirt. Mm. So she's made herself look wasteless, and she's flattened herself. After all that, in the twenties, she then had le left in 1937 to go to Jersey. It's not quite clear, you know. Um, obviously, it was becoming very threatening to be there mm. as a Jew, as a yeah. communist, as a anybody yeah um an artist a year after going to jersey the nazis invaded the island 
it was one in four of the population were Nazi, were officers. So it was like a house arrest there. And they engaged in propaganda activity solidly. And the work they had done in masquerade was really helpful. So they pretended to sort of everybody, they were these frail ladies, Aryan widows, mm -hmm. with, you know, and they were dressed and they were really believed, oh, they're so frail, they're completely harmless. But their house was right next to the Nazi, kind of, um, it's a hotel, it was a hotel then, where the main headquarters, in a way. Mm -hmm. um, so they were, it was very, very dangerous what they did. Um, they engaged in this for four years. One of her lines in it, I've got in the film, is I was outside myself. It was the only way I could do it, to be kind of um, outside of myself for four years. And almost says later that the hardest thing she did, one of the lines that I have at the beginning of this film, which is, I was weak enough to, to undertake the impossible. Mm. And I love those lines, <laughs> about mm -hmm. but actually the impossible is to write about it afterwards. Um, so that's what I've, I've just... There was, another line, oh, there was another line, sorry, just that I really, that I noted down. A path of revolutionary defeatism, which I really liked as well. The sense that you know that you can't do it. That you're not actually going to change everything. But you're well, apparently going to revolutionary kick up a fuss and you're not going to get over it. I yeah, mean, apparently not revolutionary, de revolutionary defeatism is a, an understood I idea that people participated in which means it's the lower classes who in wars don't benefit whoever, yeah. whichever nation yeah. wins. Yeah. And it was that yeah. thing, yeah, that's what she was involved in, international, what was it, international defeatism. Um, yes, that actually it, it's, it's a looking at class and this is what ha a big thing that happened after the First World War. They realise actually those ones fighting, it, no, they're not getting anything out of it, even if their side wins. Mm. They're not going to get anything out of it anyway. Who wins out yeah, of that? Yeah, you go back to the unemployment. And so that, and that was her class consciousness, and that's very important about what happened when she was in Jersey, that it was an appeal. The messages weren't like anti -Nazi. It was actually an appeal to the German soldiers. She always called them German soldiers, who else didn't want to be there, mm. saying, look, actually, you're not going to get anything out of this. Hitler doesn't care for you, and that's what she uses mm. in the propaganda. Mm. He's just eating for you. He's speaking for you. He's just going to eat you. The, the key Nazi really figures, they are brilliant. I mean, oh. the propaganda lines were really clever in mm. a way, weren't they? Mm. Um, so it was an appeal to the German soldiers, and when they were imprisoned with German soldiers who were, having, who were actually getting out and being shot, um, th they were on the same side, mm. and she, she felt very happy. And one of the soldiers had actually given her the insignia that she puts in her mouth later in that image. Oh. That's what it is, and it's also like the cat has got yeah, something, yeah. and that's why, she's, that's why I put the sound of the cat ah. kind of. So it was an appeal, and she felt she had achieved just something in that, because otherwise she was broken. She was broken by the experience, really, and wasn't really well physically, mentally, almost, after when they came out. She did feel that that was a kind of winning thing, that it was an appeal. Mm. That's what she was trying to do. It wasn't, she was trying to think again in this way, that it wasn't one nation on another, mm. but actually the people who were being exploited. Mm. And there was just so much what happened in World War I. Yeah, yeah, anyway. absolutely. And that was almost, I find, you know, part of what started a kind of socialist thinking like who wins up. Um, so uh, all to summarize that, um, what I have done to summarize in both projects is to restage. If you know her work, you see my film differently. Mm. All of those black and white, but I 
that's why at the beginning of the film I say, as well as telling this story, I say these, the film constitute restagings of her still lives, all those still lives were restaged of her images. So I'm kind of, in a way, I'm collaging, and maybe this is where there's connections to what, what you've mm. been doing, Ruth, of maybe collaging from an archive. I don't use the archive. I always restage everything completely. And there's a labor intensity in there that's, I don't know, a bit crazy, but it's also kind of invisible as well, if you don't know. But that kind of interests me in a way. In some ways, it's taken me longer to make the images maybe than it did Cahoon, because mm. yeah. she was just saying this one or that one. I'm actually yeah. having to get the same yeah, trying to get it in study it and then recreate it. Find yeah. it and, and from whatever's hanging around. And yeah. that was part of my aesthetic, whatever's hanging around. And you can still see my interior space, the domestic home, mm. which is where I've made all, a lot of my work before. And in Magic Mirror, I didn't have the opportunity, my first film, to show that I had made this mm. in a small space, my domestic home. I wanted to sort of inscribe that in this film, that you would see the home, but also see me and to show me tracing, copying, copying her words, mm. copying that she wrote, cop uh, tr tr tracing the drawing they did in the prison. And so what, what happened, because, I, because of that method, what happened was I started to restage the poses and the copying and the tracing, both of, in order to make the piece make sense, her, their photographs, I say her there, because her partner helped to do them, their photographs, which was their art, as well as their work, in order to make the film make sense, I ended up restaging, putting the propaganda in the Nazi coat pockets, mm. putting them in the windscreen, going to the to the car, or restaging those gestures in a way, so it got mixed up. So that's what I've done. And I've put that alongside her text, which is her final text. It wasn't actually her final, I think it's to say that. It was next to her final, Confessions to the Mirror, which may have been a a follow-up from disavowals, because they've both got the word confessions in. Um, confessions denied and then confessions to the mirror, um, where she describes what happened in Jersey, but it's more first person, it's, it's also her, it's also quite juxtaposing a personal, it describes her personal trauma as a child, she's put that in, where her mother was in cars because she had mixed parentage, which at that time was pretty crazy. Her mother was Catholic, her father was Jewish. Mm. I'm very unusual then. And her mother was actually in a mental home all her life. Mm. Um, and that when she was young, it kicked Cone, and that's why she'd been found in parts of furniture around the house. Oh, really? That's part of the story, and that's why right, that's I tried to just that. bring that in. Yeah. And so I suppose it's, there's all these hidden little, mm. and that's sort of what made me think why she's got this image of her it's one of my favourite images of her hidden in the cupboard. Yeah, my favourite. It's a little gorgeous, doll. Yes. It's just I, I love, love the image. It's um, extraordinary that picture. I, yeah, it's, it's beautiful. It's funny how we found because I, I wrote about Cahoon in my undergraduate dissertation. I remember it being complete. There was a show at the ICA in the ninety in the early nineties. I was there. Yeah, I went to that. Yeah. And, then, <laughs> and that really affected me so much. And that that picture particularly because I was also making things about cupboards at the time. Yeah. Always, the child and made things inside cupboards, like made little houses yeah. underneath in, underneath the sink in my bedroom and in all, all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> just mm. that, that image is extraordinary. And, and one of the things I was thinking, just picking up, that idea of disavowal, I think is extremely interesting and 
Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt now. Mm. Moving. No, 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 I was just, no, no, just, just going to say that that image, again, was just used by Michelle Williams Gamaker, who's just won the Experimental Pitch Prize in All right. her, in her okay. um, and the image from your film oh. that she had on the slide, which oh, we don't mind. Oh, that's here. nice, no. Oh, um, because, yeah, um, which she was sort of weaving into her new work, which yeah. is called um, Hyper... Hyper... Thank you, Hyper Torrid, yeah. Okay. Well, I'll just say one thing going back to that, and then I kind of come round it, and that's that in this, what has become then an intense experience time for me I've, of going through Cahoon's images and these two texts, I've been interested to look at the relation between, well, partly bits of her life and her images and her texts. So the line I put with that was, you know, when, well, I can't remember what I put about, um, about almost wanting to be alone, something mm. like that, wasn't it? About mm. somebody wanting to be alone and the, the peace of that, the peace of her dreams. Mm. And so it's been, in, uh, it's been the process of collaging her images, her words, um, and how I think image is somehow connected then with my reading of her work. And what happens when you read, when I say read, I mean read images, reading of her work listening to the words, looking at the images. And while I'm doing that, I'm projecting something, of course, probably, but um, that I like to think that this process of reading or listening is a creative process. And somewhere in my press release thing, I put something like the space between creating something and receiving, listening, looking, um, interpreting there's it's not so hard mm. and I like that idea that that process because it's one is creative when one interprets because it also comes down to the French the length the, the translation literally of the words mm -hmm. the translation of what does she mean by that and what trying to translate and also how you try to translate from a different time if I restage what am I trying to translate I'm trying to understand but in order to do that I'm creating something mm. and I just like that idea that there's something happening there in the way that, say, if you're a musician in a band or something, listening is really important rather than everybody just talking and yeah. something like that and, and not listening or wanting to show, but actually that mm. interrelation and to put emphasis onto that. Mm -hmm. And also then think about authorship as kind of, well, never mind about that, but it's somehow that comes into something like that. But I, that's important. And, and part of that idea is also then going into her work where the, wor the gap between word and image also I'm using movement and sound, is um, I've been interested to think how I can get behind her images or behind the words to a part of Cahoon that's actually behind, or something like that. I don't know, something like that. That's the kind of point of... So, yeah, Ruth, your work, thank you, Sarah, that was very... Thanks. There's a lot in there, and this is very full, and um, we can explore mm. some of those ideas in a moment. But, Ruth, you're on the surface your work would appear to be diametrically opposed and it's set in, in, the, in, the, in the real world and, is, um, and has uh, a, um, as a narrator telling their interpretation. However, that's not how the work... Um, it's well, not, that's yeah. not, not at all the story. The, yeah. It's in a sense, the, 
it may it may look like it's that's the case, but in fact everything is created again. You're unspecific about the city in Hero City. He, he filmed it in more than one place. The story the narrator is telling, you're unsure of its veracity or its origins or its authenticity. You're unsure about who the narrator is and why they're there and what the story is. So in a sense, this you from what appears to that you could interpret in a quite straightforward way, has a similar level of depth to Sarah's work in terms of where do you begin the investigation to kind of understand where you are, who you're with, why you're there, what the histories are, what the stories are, and how to so interpret I guess, them. I mean, in a, in a way, one of the questions mm. also is like sort of when, you're, when mm. are you there, uh, as opposed mm. to even where, yeah. where you are. Um, do you want to give, so give, give a little people who have yeah, give a little yeah, describe it, kind of yeah, yeah. Yes. describe the film. So it's... Um, it's in this city in, in the Arctic Circle. I mean, it's shot in, mainly shot in Murmansk, which is high up in the Arctic Circle, and in the summer, so there's no snow anywhere. You couldn't tell that it was the Arctic, unless you knew. Um, and Hero City is the name that's given to cities that, that um, fought in the Second World War um, in the Soviet Union. So they were known as um, Gorod Giroy. Hero City and St. Petersburg, Leningrad was also a hero city, and there are shot there is part of it is shot in, in Leningrad. Um, and so the, the images are quite um, well, they're handheld shot, you know. Well, with my monopod, my kit, I go out when I'm like on my own, which I usually am. I'm often a one man band, one woman mm -hmm. band, with as much as I can carry and no more. Um, sound recording and um, interviewing people. But I mean, that method actually does matter in a way in this film quite a bit because you can't, you'd film in a different way if you had a tripod and you were not traveling around and you had someone else to do sound recording. And um, we talked a little bit about that before today about actually, um, so you also have that sense mm -hmm. of somebody in particular, somebody filming is not just filmed. <laughs> it's not just like the object, somehow the objective camera, that mm. it is filmed from mm. some point of view. And uh, mm. in a way, I assume uh, that the voice of the narrator is the same as the filmmaker. So the I, it's in the first person, the monologue, and it's the woman's voice. And I kind of assume that it's the filmmaker um, speaking, but not speaking at the time of the filming, but coming back and looking back at the footage much, much later. So she talks in the past, but in the first person, but in the past. But sometimes he talks to the images and sort of is describing what you see. But then sometimes, then there comes points where you're like, huh, that's not possible, where she's, she's describing. So she goes to a, a museum, or the images go to a museum, and you see the different exhibits in the museum, and she's describing different things, not what you see. Because in the description, in the voiceover, the museum is empty and doesn't have anything there because the museum that I visited in the in Romance, well, well, it doesn't really matter, but anyway, the museum I visited in Romance had hardly anything in it except for this kiosk. And I describe all the things in this kiosk, or the eye describes all the things in the kiosk. But of course, I've invented them. Those things were invented. So the fridge magnet that gradually drags the fridge towards the That's magnetic such a brilliant pole. Image. So that is a key that, of course, of, of, of kind of unreliability or or, you know, lunacy, I mean, or whatever. <laughs> I mean, there's something going wrong here, that this is not really real. But at the same time, you are very much 
aware of the material that you're seeing, and you're seeing a lot of things, and you're having lots of lists of things as well. Um, the, so those objects and the, you know, the exhibits that you see are sort of like as a stuffed polar bear and lots of stuffed different stuffed animals and Arctic figure, figures, sort of Inuit carvings and stuff. And it's, um, in a way, that museum is quite a key part of the, that museum footage shot part of it is quite important. So, um, and it was shot in the Museum of the Arctic and Antarctica in St. Petersburg, which is now St. Petersburg. It was made in Leningrad. The museum opened in 1937, which is the height of Stalinist terror, Stalinist terror. It's um, pretty much the same as it was in 1937. I don't think it very much has changed. I mean, there are the occasional in the entrance they might add it something and these were more recent photographs there's a there's an airplane that flew over the arctic right and there are all these arctic heroes um sort of arctic explorers the arctic was was the first sort of frontier in the soviet union that um and it's in the 20s and the hero the the people who flew over the arctic were or you know the explorers that went to the arctic were really sort of um trumpeted as heroes and they were they were quite useful because um, they were not political because because of course it's not it's meant to be communism so you're not meant to have heroes you're meant to everyone's meant to be equal but you you need heroes or Stalinism needs heroes so uh, pilots are quite good because they don't speak very much and they do stuff they fly and that's kind of you know um, so that the that museum has, and it's also instead of um, you know, instead of angels in the frescoes, you've got scenes of Stalin or Lenin meeting with lots of meeting other meeting Arctic explorers, or just like bunches of people gathering in, in big frescoes in big art and arches. And I mean, it's quite a chilling sort of place actually. I've also got these amazing sort of vitrines of scenes of the Arctic. So well, I've got a postcard actually. I haven't got the book, but anyway, that that's sort of the. Anyway, that's one of the that's the sort of image that I used in. The, I think it's one that's on the yeah, screen. Yeah. But, um, anyway, so and the music, there's a, the 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 soundtrack at that point. I use I use some I use music, kind of sporadically in the in the film. And one, the, some of the music I use in the for the shots around the museum, but in other parts of it are are from the music is from the film, Aerograd Aerograd by. Dobrzenko, the um, Soviet, Ukrainian, Russian, Ukrainian director who also made Earth, which is a more yeah, famous than Aerograd, a really amazing film. And the I film is 1935. Yeah. It's really, um, it's it's shot in this kind of taiga. It's in the in the forest, but it it's about founding a city in the Arctic called Aerograd. Air city. Not air for nothing, as I was saying, what was about mm. pilots and Chikalov, so this mm. air person who, yeah, pilot who you see in the film as well. Um, anyway, uh, but the city actually doesn't ever, doesn't actually exist yet. And that's the sort of supreme mm. irony of the film. But I won't go and tell you about the whole film of Aerograd because you can always go and watch it. It's online um, with subtitles, <clears throat> a very, very poor copy. You can actually watch it at the BFI in Stephen Street. I watched it, I got out the um, film reel, and I went and watched it with a Russian friend because I didn't want to miss anything. 
And it was actually really nice to have her there because it's really bleakly Stalinist as well. I mean, it's really brutal. The peasant hero goes around shooting people because they're enemies of the people. And it's like a really, really so particularly sad. objectionable genophobic. Given the values of his early films and solidarity with the people and the great joy of <clears> life on the land. Well, it's funny because in a way, although, I mean, that side, it is absolutely horrific. At the same time, that the last scenes where all these pilots jump out of airplanes with their parachutes and they, la they land in Erebra, and it's, uh, it's quite surreal. I mean, a really, in the, in the literal sense, yeah. it's surrealist. Um, and then there's this, um, there's this sort of Inuit kind of Nanook of the North type character mm. who comes, he's been there all the way through on his own, so individual. Mm. Unlike the Soviet heroes, no, he's yeah. not a sailor, he's not a pilot, he's not a, he's not a peasant, he's, you know, he's a little, you know. Yeah. He's a little native, <laughs> but you know, in that awful kind of way yeah. of Nanuk and all. However, he gets there and he's like, Where's Erograd? <laughs> and he's like, Oh, oh, we, we've got to make it. <laughs> we've got to build it. And it's just like this supreme irony that he's managed to introduce into the film, which, which is like, in a way, kind of totally makes the whole thing sort of disintegrate. But of course, it wasn't noticed mm. or, or he got away with it or it's sufficiently ambivalent and uh, that he got away with it so the film is not kind of resolvable in a way in, I mean it's not anything like as no. good bad is impossible to say but it's a pretty incredible film visually as, um, especially that last bit and all the aerial f filming in it but so I use some of the heroic music from that as a kind of in a way sort of to link it but I know that no one's going to know that that music mm. is from Aerograd because no one's seen Aerograd except for a very few people, yeah. I think. But, um, but it's that kind of heroic music which you could hear in another, so in another film of that time. Um, and, um, but, so, let me jump quickly to the film more as a whole. Um, the, the, the I character, the monologue person in, in, the, mo in the monologue is, um, is looking back at this footage and seeing and saying, especially towards the end of the film, saying, you know, why couldn't I see what was clearly there? Why, what, why, what could I not find in those images? Why did I not see in those images what was to come? I should have known. I should have known better. I should have known what was to come from that. But you never know what that is, what that was to come, because she's after that moment. We're now after the terrible things that have happened, but we don't know what those terrible things are because we don't see it. Um, but we hear what she says, but what she says is very metaphorical rather than literal. Um, uh, but it's somehow connected to um, kind of military build-up or the kind of climatic apocalypse. She does describe the things that we're being told are going to happen. So the ice, well, and we're not just being told, they really are likely to happen, but we are being told them that are going to happen. So the melting of the ice, of the Arctic ice the opening of the Northern Sea Route, um, which is already sort of happening. Um, the build-up, mili the military build-up, that is actually happening. In fact, it's much worse now than it was when I was in the Arctic filming this in 2013. Um, so all the things, you know, and then you don't hear exactly, you, know, you don't know what happened, but somehow there's this kind of post-apocalyptic sort of situation. But, um, yeah. So um, what I want to come back to that, even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I, I did, this is, that's basically the summary of the plot. What there is in the plot. It's not really a plot at all. There's no plot. Um, it's kind of more like a vertical plot it's like a layer and another layer <laughs> kind of which your thing mm. comes as well there's no plot mm. as such or the plot doesn't mm. I wouldn't say mm. or at least it's not a kind of but it's a kind of sort of building plot. it's a building atmosphere and a simultaneous kind of uh, you, you feel you're in both your films in a sense you're feeling you're gaining more information and you're enjoying the in very interesting visuals but at the same time it's creating more and more mystery so the more you the more you learn the more yeah, yeah. The more kind of kind of perplexed you are, but in a you know in in an enticing way, not a frustrating way. It's just like mm. it draws you in a way that draws you more and more in. Well, so, this film yeah. in particular, I'd say, in my films, I was really. I mean, it came out of a lot of research I've been doing in the Arctic and what's happening in the Arctic. And I made another film that was shown here two years ago called Call of North, which I shot in the Russian Arctic. It's quite a different sort of film. Um, I won't really talk about that that much, but it's sort of looking at experiences of climate change, but then you don't see very many people in it. It's just other people's voices talking. And so it's kind of like a sort of polyphony. It's kind of almost like a piece of music. I think of it in a kind of like that sort of compositional way. Um, but in this film, I really was thinking of it and in it was almost a kind of philosophical, um, kind of ethical, ethical, philosophical, ecological uh, kind of struggle. I was trying to work out, you know, what, I was trying to figure out, you know, what do, what will people think looking back at now, you know, in 20, 30, 50, 100 years time, what will they be thinking about why we did nothing or we didn't do very much? And then thinking, well, what can I do as, what do I'm, a, I'm an artist, you know, I, I write, I make films, I do performances, I do whatever I do. Anyway, and along, alongside lots of other artists doing. What will people think looking back at whatever survives of that art, whatever, if anything? But, you know, what will, they, what will they think about what we were thinking? How are we responding to this situation? How, you know, how were we really questioning it? Because the sign that there are humans in the world, as opposed to apes, 
is drawing on and carving on rocks in caves uh, or little, you know, rock carvings or whatever. So, and they responding, they reflect partly, we think, anyway, we assume they reflect the environment in which they are found or, you know, the anim animals they were shooting or not shooting, obviously, you know, spearing or whatever, or not, or, you know, so there is a kind of, uh, so can, there is a sense like, um, you know, how am I making sense of this? What, how do I make sense of this kind of ridiculous situation? And, you know, what am I, what am I doing with this? You know, how do I? So even going to Murmansk in the first place was a sort of, I, I sort of added it on to the end of the journey for making that other film because I wanted to go to Aerograd. I've seen Aerograd, I want to go to Aerograd. Of course, Aerograd exists. Mm. It exists all these cities in the Arctic. Most people live in the Ar who live in the Arctic live in cities. Mm. They don't live in igloos, or mm -hmm. <laughs> no one lives in an igloo anymore. Uh, if they ever did, they mm -hmm. probably lived in other kinds of. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I wanted to go to Aerograd, so I went to Aerograd. I speak Russian, by the way, so that makes it a lot easier to kind of, it makes it the only way to ever do it. Um, so the voice is a traveler, the, the person in the film is also a kind of visitor, because I also didn't want to be like, making a film about other people. It's not like a film about other people's problems. I'm not going there and saying, <laughs> yeah, come on. Yeah. <laughs> well, you still have to go. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's Yeah, no, well, exactly. Yeah. I said 20, here? then. Will anyone be here, then? That was my thought. I'm not thinking that my work I'm, is I'm going to survive 100 years, be. but I just, I just mean whatever, we, whatever is found in however many years. I'll just try, because... Yeah. 
the longer you go, I might not be able to speak. I'll try. Shall I go? Shall I try? Okay, go. I'll try, try afterwards. Yeah. I suppose I, I think this is a really important, great question. <laughs> um, all I can say is there this urgency about what's happening, what are the things I'm trying to get at. So I'll have to sort of break it into bits because I haven't got a singular great line. It'll be There'll be bits. One is about listening and think yeah I, i'm interested in what film can do as a medium because you asked about film what film can do as a medium when an artist has died and left photographs and writing i can animate it i can bring it into the present this is something that concerns me over and above my whatever with Cahoon. Cahoon. actually as a filmmaker i can do this i can pick up these photographs i can bring them into the now i can look at the text i can look behind her text and her images i'm hoping and bring that into now and animate it and breathe life into that, breathe life into that voice that couldn't be heard in her own time, to reflect on what artists speaking now can't be heard in their own time. At the end of my film, I write a credit to Sandra Lahia, who was a filmmaker, um, she was a partner, but she was also a mentor for me, I think for you, sir. Um, and since she's died, I, I think the BFI might be doing something if you're too. But yep. nothing has been shown of her films since she died in 2001. She was making important work, political work. There's what we can access in terms of what of artists are saying and what we can't access. What's getting channeled around all over the time, over and over. I go abroad, I think, oh, I'll go to the galleries. Oh, just, oh, that's in London. Oh, so much, that's in London. I can't, and yet there are artists really important, making really important work. I don't get to see them. And I think this reflects the wider economic climate where we've got the high street corporations because there's money involved. So my reflection to turn to Cahoon, to turn to Sandra, is look at these other voices. Think about that. Think about those voices that can't be heard because they've got so much to say. Cahoon knew this, which I think is so brilliant. She described herself as Cassandra. She was furious that her text, Avernon, sorry, I'm getting excited. Mm -hmm. Her text, Avernon Avenue, wasn't, was given very negative reviews. She was bitter and scathing oh. her writing. That's what the literary criticism decided to do with this Cassandra. Mm -hmm. Cassandra being the myth of the, the goddess who is gifted with seeing into the future. I mean, there are an awful lot of artists who are seeing into the future, yeah. you know, and then the, whatever it is they saw in the well, future. Well, yes, that's why I'm not just right saying now. it yeah. to her. So that's why I'm using yeah, this as an why, example. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a brilliant example. So, yeah. so, but is punished for this gift because she actually, she won't sleep with the, 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 the guy goddess, actually. Because mm. she's gay. So... Um, she's punished for that, and the punishment is no one will believe her. So no, I just think that is amazing, and it's so so partly it's a call to that, it's a call to think about that, on issues also to reflect on. I I think this story is important about war, and non-war times. What an artist does in war, what an artist does not. How her, the the the, the um, can't think of the word of her surrealist circle who criticised her for not being materialist, not being a proper Marxist, but then when the war came, they didn't do anything. Mm. But, but they were searching for famous and scathing. One of her close friend, Robert Desnos, who died in the camp, the poet, wrote something scathing about Breton. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and they're the ones, and we still go to the galleries, and they're all here, Tristan Zara. Yeah. They were just saying to the Nazis, get rid of that one, send that one to the camp. Mm -hmm. 
we don't even hear about this, mm. but this is, this is what happened. So to think about what happens and what Kahuna's done is talked about her personal life, talked about it's not separate, the pers as we know from the feminist open, her personal life with her mother, that is also political, it's all, every, everything is. So she didn't, I wanted to sort of not separate that, so the, the sort of taboo around some figuration or, or propaganda, to actually try and play with this film compared to my last one is more, it's got a story, or it, I don't know whether it has, but it has a little bit more. I am, I do, because of the seriousness of the fact of what they did and being imprisoned and committing suicide because they thought they'd be sent to a camp. Because of the seriousness of it, I had to readjust how I made the mm. film and it became slower and more just, I had to just honor that mm. and allow the audience to know that's what the story was and not be confused of not knowing. So, to solve this problem of not wanting to make a drama out of someone's life, which would be horrible. Mm. I, told, I tell the story at the beginning, the key points, and it's not the story. They're like six lines yeah. of sentences. It's not the story, there's a whole load of others, but they, you could say they're key bits. And then the film actually covers the key mm. bits. Like, oh, but I already know that. You're not giving new bits, you're giving the sentence, and it's almost to sort of break that up. But, Perhaps I've gone off the point, but the point about that's important. But to think about, I, all I can do is for us to reflect and think about what's per, what's personal, how we act even ethically in a way, not just politically, mm. but in all our ways, how we are together, what are we doing, what, I mean, that's what I'd but like to do. I don't think politics I do that in can't film. be effective if you're not being ethical. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, really, yeah, yes. it's otherwise you're yes, talking. Yes, but one can put a name as what happened, which mm. is I yes. am this, I am, you do it as a oh, slogan, yeah, as a label, and you get, it that happens all the time. All the time. Yeah. And that's yeah, yeah. for this, to reflect on that, to reflect on this, Absolutely. on that story. And I, I think that, I mean, I to think question it's it, I think it gets blindedly not questioned. You know, you just state you're this, and you get the label. I mean, I think, that question, yeah, the, the the question of you know of propaganda or of meaning that you know that a work might have a, a particular of you know message in it as well. No, I know you didn't mean it like that. Yes, no, I know you did. No, 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 I know you didn't. I'm just picking up on that word of propaganda. It's because I said it. It's I said you, it. Yeah. No, but I think good a critique of it. Yeah, yeah. No, I, but I think actually, I mean, I, you know, maybe it's because I, like, you know, lost causes. I think are quite interesting. But um, you know, that looking back at how, I mean, the Soviet Union and the kind of there is also a very dangerous moment right now, mm. which is what's going on in in Russia and what's going on in relation between, you know, and and the kind of what's happened to politics and how it's become very, very extreme, even when it's just speaking in a very extreme way. I mean, we've seen it here mm -hmm. with, with all the, everything around Brexit. Um, but before that, around the Scottish referendum for independence. Um, <laughs> we just need a jug. It's like real water. I said a jug. Um, Can't even deal with new tin technology. Um, <laughs> Thanks. You know, and then Trump. I mean, I don't even want to go over these again, because it's just, but, but that sense of just, you know, oversimplification and, yeah. and hate and you know just like on, on a kind of really extreme but and really basic and really dangerous as, and also not ever thinking really of the consequences of what you say yeah. um, but and that's kind of happening a lot I mean in Russia as well what you know Putin but and having been gone there before Ukraine was um, 
before uh, Crimea was annexed. In fact, I made a film in Ukraine, which is on at the moment. In fact, it's a little plug. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, but uh, but uh, then going right after Crimea was annexed and the change in attitudes towards Putin towards what was going on is absolutely because of the endless propaganda. But again, it's saying a lot of untruths peppered with a few things which are plausible, which is what, you know, so people take it. And that is what happened. That's what ha is happening an awful lot. Even that's happened, that happened here. That yeah, happened to Trump. That happened here yeah, with yeah. our, you know, I mean, the consequences world, are perhaps yeah. not quite as dramatic as, yeah, you know, it's all kind taking of that over. information and how that's conveyed. Um, and it, but it, and and sort of cults of personality. But but the other thing, going back, um, I think this thing. In a way, we're both looking back at this 1930s uh, moment as well. Mm. In a way, which is because um, mm. in some ways, I mean, no, we're, we're looking at how right now. Scary what, that is. What yeah. really scary, mm. absolutely, and why we are. I, I mean, maybe we didn't think. Perhaps necessarily, we're thinking. Oh, we're going to look at the 30s because we're about to relive the 30s. I don't. I mean, we didn't. I don't think. I didn't no. think like that at all. Mm. It's just that that those are. The things that are, you know, that, that, that's uh, you know, coming, coming up very now strongly, since yeah. we started and, the and the, art, the things that we're looking at are in the present. I mean, we're looking mm -hmm. at Claude Cahoon's photographs, but they they still exist now. So they're speaking to us as material that exists now. They were taken yeah. then, but they One. are now. The museum that I went to, it was made in the 30s, but those things are, are still, you know, moth-eaten stuffed polar bears are still mm -hmm. there now, and they have children going around them right now and they mean something right now and why are they looking at them in this particular way and um, and that city was not built you know it wasn't only built romance wasn't only built in the 30s but it still got all you know and they had recently put up a, a monument actually to the I forget what they call it but you know the the shipping the ships that came during um, the British um, ships that brought supplies during the Second World War through Murmansk and a lot of them were sunk U-boats, but there's a, there's a monument to that. But just just recently, in like 2013, it has been opened there. Um, kind of probably the last friendly thing that's happened between Russia and Britain, yeah, actually. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, sorry to come back to that that uh, idea of the the ethos. Um, I guess one of the things is like making. Some, making uh, a film that is, uh, and writing that, or you know, bringing the thing together, that they don't, you know, neither illustrates the other. The right, the text doesn't illustrate the images, or, but that you, there's always a kind of, there's a, there are lots of, <laughs> there are lots of gaps, or like there's a, there's a sense that you do actually have to work as a, as a viewer, and that there, you're not going to resolve any of the, there's no kind of resolution, that's possible. But at the same time, it's not just like utterly mystifying. So you are like not interested in a way, or like, or, or that you can just like bear, you know, swim in beautiful images or something. But that there's 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 stuff to hold on to. But there are so many associations and so many, you know, that, and that, that I guess it's about complexity in a in a way. Um, Mm, layering, yeah, in different, and, and that can happen in different ways. Yeah, I was just and it happens very much in your film, in and I had that ways, a lot watching your film. Yes, about one of the things that I really enjoyed about watching um, your film were, were, I mean, one I do know her work quite well mm. um, because I mm. read about it for my my little images. baby yeah. dissertation yeah. a long time ago, yeah. and and so, but I really enjoyed mm. coming back to that. But also that you know the other associations that have come to it in the 
you know, the 20 years since I looked at those images, um, but, and the and kind of contemporary associations that, that come to it. And the sort of, you know, the, the, the lines and how, um, that some of the lines that you quote, um, you know, and, uh, and I also found sort of threads of connection between when all that talk about projection and the idea that you project into images, which of course I do all the time as well. I mean, but I've also worked with projection on buildings, or projecting back the place, but project something I've filmed in a particular place, projecting it into that place again, and that, so that the viewer is both is in that kind of uncanny sense mm. of like they're separate. When you're watching a film, you're kind of in that space of the film, but then if that film is also in, if you're also in the space in which that film was made, then you have that kind of uncanny feeling mm. of, you know, where do I fit in that? And, and so that, that was really interesting to me. And also this thing, the relationship between the still image and, sorry, I'm jumping around and bringing lots of different things here, mm. but in, again, but there's something I was thinking mm. about that, that relation, that kind of reanimating of a still image. Because another film I made, I'm obviously kind of the 30s going to come back again, was a, uh, quite a long time ago when I was in the LSE in the archives, there was an archive of the National Institute of Industrial Psychology, which is a really fascinating organization that, um, that came out of the First World War and it was looking to improve working conditions in factories but also to improve productivity. But, you know, there are these photographs in the Webb archive because um, the, the Webbs were Beatrice and Sydney Webb uh, were Fabians and helped set up the LSE and they were visit they visited the Soviet Union in 1933 and they were shown around fact they were shown you know how wonderful it was and they completely swallowed how wonderful it was and there's like a photograph of women being led through exercises in a shop in Leningrad you know doing sort of calisthenics mm. whatever calisthenics whatever you know exercises and there's another photograph from 1933 in the same archive of women, again, being led through exercises at the Roundtree factory. Oh, same okay. exercises. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> also, same kind of photograph. Mm. So I made it, I did a performance of exercises in the LSE in the corporate mm. sort of atrium, which is meant to be the student services building, but it's just like a kind of corporate mm. office. I mean, it's horrendous mm. and everyone working behind the glass. It was some years ago now. Well, only 10, actually, mm. so a bit more. Um, but it was again that was sort of reanimating, appropriating that image and seeing what had happened to that that moment of you know, let's keep our workers fit so that they are better workers yeah, and yeah. they're better cogs in the labour machine yeah. and mm. you know, and what's happened now it's been privatised so you spend your own money on the gym. going to the gym. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh. you do it in your own time instead oh. of the factory time. Yeah. yeah, but then there's also kind of ambivalence there because. It's actually quite pleasurable to, to do a dance class with a whole lot of other people and, uh, and do exercises yeah. together. And, yeah. and there's a kind of pleasure in being part of a mass yes. of people. And so that kind of, so from, anyway, so I was just thinking about that thing of reanimating what yeah, you I was do. Just so thinking you're taking a still image into the. Into the moment the you animate an image, you are speaking about your reading. Your reading is becoming a creative thing. The, the, yeah. That very process of animating. Mm. Yeah. So that's kind of interesting. It and really makes you think mm. it think it through again because think it through the image yeah, exactly. making of that yeah. image. And then as it well. makes you think as you watch it. How do you read it? Because mm. you're, you're, what you're doing is sort of not forcing, but let's could say forcing your viewer, mm. your audience to kind of then see that how you're doing yes, it. Yeah. But that's kind of okay because you're sharing. Reinterpreting, it. but almost like resurrecting. Like resurrecting is there, important. Yeah. Resurrecting is yeah. really important. Mm. You're actually, because when we talk through 
through rational language, we separate this past present, which is an artificial, we only have mm. the present, and the past is always with us, at the moment it's there. It's just an idea that it's, well, it is there, but it's only just, that makes mm. the path makes just sense, doesn't it? You never live in the past, you always live in the present. Yeah, because people say this taboo thing, like actually, baggage, about, oh, yeah. you're living in the past, and you are, like, you're told off for it. You know? <laughs> or like, no, I'm living it. in the future. Yeah, or, yeah. Yes. <laughs> but they're all fantasy, we're yeah, living in yeah, fantasy yeah, world anyway. Yeah. You know, it's all kind of, they're all words that do and, and don't mean, mean so much. I mean, we know that other cultures have very different views of past temporal. Mm. You know, I'll just, I wanted to pick up just something tiny about complexity and this because I was worried all the way through my film, through both of my film projects, because I loved all of Cahoon's writing and I didn't want to take it out. <laughs> but I'm, so I illustrate her words and I've done that here. Mm. So, oh, taboo word, illustrate, mm. but I, I wanted to. And then I wanted her line as well, but often I had to take it out because people will, someone, you know, people have said, oh, that's just terrible to do that. And I'm thinking, why do I want, so I sort of, some things like a Dutch housewife, they're great lines I took out because I thought, well, I've given a Dutch housewife. Yeah, you exactly. know, whatever. You so I had it. to. Yeah. But, so it's difficult because I was close. What was I going to say there? Part of it is about, maybe this is about the thing we talked about, we talked about materiality, embodiment, and this notion of self. And so for me, it's been quite important to actually sort of perform and know that I'm performing. And we talked about the I, what is the I? What is it truth to pretend you're someone else or to just to be yourself? Or what does it mean? Can I just be myself? Is it always a pretend if I sort of say, oh, I did that in my home and that's me. And But it is, for me, it is a kind of story about me, even if that's, um, projecting, um, and I, want, I sort of want to offer myself in a way as a vessel. You're saying, Lord, I've said me talk, describe me as a ventriloquist, yeah. as a vessel or something to perform this, almost as maybe as a vessel for a viewer to mm. kind of think what it, what this journey is of tracing and whatever. Well, I think is. very. I mean, I was thinking about the way you know about that I. I mean, I think, and again, it goes back to, in a way to that ethos, the idea of the ethos. Um, I think if I have an, uh, an ethic, obviously I have an ethic, everyone has an ethic whether they know they have one or not. <laughs> but some or some Trump people seem to be really, really <laughs> rotten in there. I don't think everybody does. I don't think Trump has. Well, it depends no, on your no, definition no, of no, ethic. Ethics don't have to be ethical. All right, okay. Ethics can be wretched as well. As a plural, rather than the concept. I don't mean like, you know, I'm so great. You know, I don't mean that at all. I just mean that the sense of, there is a... A putting oneself in the way of things um, and a kind of I think in the way that I at least not this doesn't happen with all the work or probably does actually now but it's sort of come to this over time but um, sort of uh, you know I've been going going to places like going to Murmansk or going to the Arctic Circle to this village or going to Kazakhstan um, you know I'm not I haven't gone on like some you know really tough expedition you know where I've had to you know I've worn the same pair of boots the whole time. It's <laughs> my special kit, or anything. You know, I haven't had to brave the elements particularly. Um, but there's that sense of of of, uh, of vulnerability and uh, of being kind of open to what happens and to following what you know what what messages are coming to me, and and that that comes across, I think, in the, in the work that I'm doing, perhaps. I don't know, maybe yes, it doesn't, but yeah. certainly that is a very key point of, and, the, and a kind of, 
in a way that that sort of in, it's not exactly investigative because investigative makes it sound like some kind of detective who goes out and it's not like that it's more of being a kind of sponge as well of like and maybe it's something to do with being a linguist of always of like often being on the sides and listening to what different people are saying and then trying to make people communicate with each other it's like oh, no no you haven't got understood let me let me translate you know or like and there you're not speaking and okay that's a kind of ventriloquist in a way because you're you're not speaking for yourself you're speaking for others you're trying to enable people to speak to be able to understand each other to make connections and sometimes like i did a lot of i mean um i did a uh, this project is part of a bigger project which is it's ended up with a PhD, which I submitted. Yay. <laughs> um, but uh, so I interviewed a lot of people, and the interview, or I had conversations with a lot of people, and some of them were more like interviews. But mainly, they weren't like interviews. It's more like sort of just being an ear, and then actually people want to talk. And you're because you've come from somewhere else, you're like the shrink who doesn't. No one's gonna. You don't have. Um, there's no consequences to talking to me. I mean, I've always said what I'm doing. I'm making a film, but you know, I won't mention the name if you don't want me to. And you know, it's never. Um, but you know, it's always like a. There's that sense of like I can spill the beans. Mm. Sorry, because I'm not gonna be there. Mm. You know that, that I'm leaving. So, so that visitor character, mm. it, it often appears in in the recent films anyway. That whether it's only the camera that is the visitor, that the camera happens mm. to be there as a visitor, or it's me, the I, or the I that is mm. obviously not pinned downable because there's no one I. I mean, even when you use I or you say that it's, you know, I, I've, I wouldn't presume to say, I know Sarah Fusel. No. <laughs> I mean, there's I'm something about materiality that we talked about anyway. Yeah, which is maybe it's a yeah we're, we're done now. So I just wanted to ask if there's any anything you want, any questions you wanted to ask, anything you wanted to say yourselves. Well, um, I do you know? Did uh, the, 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 on the festival on the festival Sinando? Yeah. So, yeah. So if you've got you if, if you've got um, festival accreditation, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's not that you have to go through the experimental group thing, don't you? Or oh, okay. That's cool. So, well, that's very. Um, in, uh, you've, you've said so much, and which which <laughs> just—it's like your work, really. You know, you, it, it sort of the layering just becomes more and more to talk about. The more you talk, it feels the more there is to talk about. But I'm afraid we, you know, we do need to break it there. But it's, it certainly isn't finished. It needs a continuation, doesn't mm. it? So um, I'm really pleased it's been such a fruitful discussion because, mm. as I say, you wouldn't necessarily put your two pieces together, but mm. I really felt that there were mm. sort of commonalities in terms of the, the, the kind of conversation discourses mm. that that could mm. come out of putting them yeah. together. And that's yeah. certainly proved to be the case, I think. So it's yeah. uh, thank you very so much. Thank you for bringing so us together. Yeah. yeah. And for thank showing you. the film. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Yeah. And thank you very much for coming. I hope you've enjoyed it and it's been some food for thought and that you'll go away and see some films by Ruth and Sarah. So fabulous. And enjoy the rest of the festival. Thank you. Thanks for coming. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.